You're listening to the Desperation Podcast, a generation in desperate pursuit of God. www.desperationonline.com. All right, we'll open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. Tonight I'm entitling this, God has a soft spot. And uh, by soft spot, I don't mean a weak spot, I mean a tender spot. And uh, Matthew chapter 5 is where we'll go. Father, in the name of Jesus, we love you and we thank you for the opportunity as the furnace to uh, come before you each night in prayer. God, we count it a privilege. We don't count it a duty, a spiritual duty that we do because we are more zealous than others. We don't count it with a spiritual pride. God, we just are so thankful that you've given us the invitation to ask and to seek and to knock that we want to just, we just, we're just, we're just hungry enough. We want to keep coming. God, it's our prayer that it wouldn't end in a year-long or a two-year-long training program, but all the days of our lives, we would be those that are so eager and so hungry for you that we would come after you. Holy Spirit, I pray for renewed zeal in the hearts of those who have grown faint. God, I pray uh, for renewed passion for those who have begun begun to slow down. God, we desire so much to finish the race. Fight the good fight. Keep the faith. And so in the name of Jesus, God, we pray that you would help us. We need your strength. We love you. Amen. This weekend, uh, I did a wedding. And uh, at the wedding, there was uh, all the fancy little meats and little little shrimp with a little bacon around it, you know, and uh, extremely healthy. And uh, fried mushrooms and things that, make you feel so good, but, you know, it's one of those deals where you sit around at a reception and eat little things on toothpicks and talk to old relatives and smile and, oh, yes, how are you, and that kind of thing. And at the conclusion of the reception, uh, Renat and I and our two kids were driving, uh, and we actually left this very expensive reception hungry for real food. And so we went through the Wendy's drive-in, drive-through, and... Um, and, uh, you know, our family, I don't know about how you guys do. Actually, things don't change. You, you think that once you're old like me or Pete, uh, once you're old like us, you stop ordering from the dollar menu, but that never changes. Um, and so me and my family, we order from the dollar menu. And, and so uh, I order a few things from the dollar menu, order from my kids in the back and my wife. And then I finish and I say, and one uh, bacon bacon, you know, 99 cent bacon cheeseburger, and three waters, please. So I finish it, seven items, $7. And um, I said, and three waters. And there was this pause. And all of a sudden, from the back seat, my two-year-old son, Dawson, goes, and a Coke, too! <clears throat> and screams it extremely loud, and uh, which for a two-year-old is incredibly articulate. Um, and uh, so then the lady says, would, would you like that Coke? And I thought, it is absurd to give a two-year-old kid a Coke. It's wrong. It's godless. It's immoral. 
there's something inerrant that is just wrong with the concept. But I was so moved by the moment. I, it was, to me, it was so cute. It was so epic. I said, well, of course, we'll take the Coke. Absolutely. And I uh, gave my son a sip of a Coke because he asked. And Dawson, to me, he is so cute that even asking for a Coke found a sweet spot in me, a soft spot that said, you know what? I got to give it to my boy. I got to give it to my son. Tonight, as we talk a little bit about pursuing God and asking and seeking him and pursuing him, I want to tell you that I believe that there's a, a tender spot in the heart of God. I believe there's a spot, there's a place, there's a thing, there's a, an attribute, a characteristic within his people that he so loves, that he so desires, that often, just the nature of you possessing it, he'll answer it. Of course, I believe that thing is the soft spot, the thing that God loves in his people above all things is desperation. And um, so I'm going to talk about being desperate tonight and that God God's soft spot, his tender spot, the place that he loves to respond is to people that are truly desperate. And we see it in the Gospels, we see it uh, all throughout the Scriptures, that God loves it when we are hungry, when we are desperate, when we are filled with so much desire, so much spiritual hunger, that it causes us to do something extravagant. And so I want to read Matthew chapter 5. You're familiar with this. This is Jesus talking. Uh, let's start in verse 1. Now when he, when he saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And so here it's interesting because Jesus looks at these guys and he says, blessed are those who are poor in spirit or those who are, who so come to grips with their weakness. Those who are poor, those who are, uh, have a, a poverty spirit in, in knowing who they, in, in who they are and what they're not. Blessed are those that mourn. Blessed are those that are not necessarily out having the time of their lives, but actually spending time in mourning. And blessed are those that hunger. And now if we take those three ideas and kind of flip them and look at the way that the world defines being filled or happiness, it would not be being poor in spirit. It would not be mourning. And it would certainly not be having such lack that you hunger and you thirst for righteousness. The way that the world says that you're filled is the complete opposite. So satisfied in yourself that you're fine. You know who you are. So, so much, uh, so much money and so much stuff and so much good experience, there's no reason to mourn. And yet, Jesus says, there's the kingdom, there's inheriting the earth, there's being filled for those that mourn, those that are poor in spirit, those that hunger and thirst, or you could say desperate, those that are hungry, those that ache, those that yearn, those that long, those that desire for righteousness, for they will be filled. And so 
You and I know that as we begin to study God and as we begin to look at God and we begin to say how great he is, how great is our God, that that blessed is the poor in spirit is the nature of staring at a big God. And in the nature of staring at a big God, it's very easy for them, for us to go, and how small am I? How great is our God? And in light of how great he is, how small am I? You know, little guy kind of thing. The nature of being poor in spirit is not looking at yourself, you know, looking in the mirror, hitting yourself in the face and going, man, I'm Dan Williams and I'm lame or I'm pathetic. I'm a peon. I'm small. But looking at who God is, and in light of staring at God, there's a, an awareness of what we're not. There's an awareness of what he is and what we're not. I like the way that the message uh, talks about Matthew 5, 6. The way that the message interprets it or that states it is, uh, you're blessed when you've worked up a good appetite for God. He's food and drink in the best meal you'll ever eat. So you and I are the kind of people that you sign up for the furnace. You're, you're hungry. You're spiritually hungry. And tonight I want to look at this and say, okay, where does that, where does that take us? Cool. You know, we sang the song. We go to the prayer meetings. We're hungry. What are some of the ways that we demonstrate that we truly possess hunger, thirst, desperation, desire, longing, whatever it is? I mean, you know, we've sang Glenn songs. Here we are in desperation. I'll in on your name, you know. We, we know that. That's us. How, how do we become people that put that to action? Now, I want to tell you, I, I think that sometimes we think real conventionally about doing, uh, you know, okay, let me, uh, sometimes I, I hear people say, well, that, that's so nice that I've got passion, or that's so nice that I've got hunger, or that's so nice that I've got desperation. Now, uh, give me something practical. What can I really do? But there's a dichotomy there because the reality is that the nature of possessing that kind of spiritual hunger, uh, that the nature of possessing that kind of passion, and then separating that from doing something practical doesn't work. The, the very fact that you have that yearning and that longing and that passion and that desperate, it leads you to something, but you never lose it. You maintain it and you uh, foster it all the days of your life. And because of it, it doesn't take you to do just conventional things, just normal good things. Now, I'm all for conventional things. I'm for uh, paying your bills on time. I'm for uh, having cool hair, you know, for that. I'm having it over your ears right now, you know. I'm for uh, making an A on the test. I'm for all those things, but in addition to those things, the things that are that mark the disciples of Christ, the things that mark those people that are living out this Matthew 5 lifestyle, the Sermon on the Mount lifestyle, they, 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 they are a bit extreme. Faith becomes extreme. Hunger, true spiritual hunger, causes you to do things that spiritually satisfied people won't necessarily do. And so tonight I want to look at a few people in the scriptures that do some things that maybe even in our context, we look at them and go, that's a bit extravagant, that's a bit much. Turn with me to uh, Matthew chapter, or Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5, intriguing story here. And what's interesting is that it's in the context, Jesus is on his way 
here to go uh, heal uh, or to go raise from the dead Jairus' daughter. So he's, he's on his way. He's in the act of doing a miracle here. All right, so you can imagine he's on his way to, be, to go raise someone from the dead. I mean, this is, he's, he's like on a, on a mission. And let's start in verse um, 24. So Jesus, so Jesus went with him. Okay, so they come. Jairus comes and says, Jesus, can you heal my daughter? And then Jesus is going with him. So he's on the journey. He's on his way to go heal Jairus' daughter. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. Now picture this. Jesus is on his way to go do a miracle. All right, he's on his way. And now there's a crowd all around him. All right, a large crowd. And pressed around him. So they're all bumping up against Jesus. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Intriguing word there. Everything she possessed, she had spent. So she was the perfect picture that Mark shows us here of the person who has nothing. It's in the place of actually possessing nothing where people really get desperate. It's in the place of spending all that you have. That's Tozer's born after midnight concept. You know, revivals come after midnight. Why? Because you've already spent everything that you had praying and you're already tired and God wants to meet you after you've already spent the normal status quo. And it's after the place where you've already spent all that you have that God likes to meet you. She had spent all that she had, yet instead of getting better, she was getting worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. Because she thought, I'll just touch his clothes, I will be healed. If I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? You see, uh, the people crowding against you, his disciples answered. And yet, you can ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. So I want you to look at this. Here's this lady. She had nothing left. She had spent all of her energy, all of her dollars, everything that she had. And she was truly in this place of hunger. I want you to imagine all the noise, all the activity going on around Jesus. He's on his way to go heal Jairus' daughter. He's on his way to go do another miracle. Surely a good-mannered person would have said, well, there he goes. There's already a crowd around him. There's already a lot of activity. He's on his way to go help that guy Jairus. That guy Jairus is somebody... I'm a nobody. He's going to heal his daughter. I would be wrong to intervene, to get in the way and try to, you know, touch him now. It would be uh, bad manners. It would be inappropriate. I mean, he's a busy guy. I mean, after all, I'm sure he's busy being God. You know, he's got a lot to do. And here, this lady, because she had spent everything, because she was truly in that place of being hungry, being desperate. He doesn't care about manners. 
She doesn't care about getting in line and waiting her turn for her miracle. But instead, she goes and she touches his garment. She goes, believes, and her, her state of desperation causes her to put action to it, to go against what the common crowd would do and to enter into a state of faith to believe. If only I touch him, maybe I'll be healed. Now, many scholars think that uh, the nature of this whole moment where she's reaching out to touch his clothes uh, is kind of the concept that in Malachi, the scripture says that there's healing in his wings and they believe that, uh, you know, in the Messiah, there would be healing in his wings. And we kind of go, what kind of guy has wings? You know, it doesn't make sense. But the concept there is that the, the, um, they would have like the, these tassels and these tassels, uh, now this is just kind of a theory idea, but, but these tassels then were, um, were, this, were this prayer shawl concept. And so that, that the idea there is that it's the same word. And some scholars think that when she's reaching out to touch his cloak, it may have been to touch this actual kind of prayer shawl that Jesus had, which was called the wings. So the idea was if I just touch that, Prayer, that shawl, that prayer thing around, you know, Jesus' head. If I just touch it, if I just reach out and touch it, then there'll be healing. And I, I, I like that concept only because it's the complete demonstration of absolute faith, believing to a whole new level. Hey, if I'll reach out and if I'll break kind of what's common and believe in faith and I'll go through the crowd, cut through the crowd and touch him, then maybe I'll be healed. And I think for us, in our context, one of the things that we run into is people saying, hey, dude, chill out, Furnace. Come on now, Chris. Come on, guys. All right, you did one year, you did two years in the furnace. But come on, Salisbury. Why do you keep praying all the time? Come on, Joe. Brother, aren't you at that prayer center like every night? Come on. And there's a calm down, join the crowd factor. Join the mob. But what we know is that Jesus looks at this lady. The fact as to how we should live our lives is not in any commentary that I can give you. It's in the scripture that says he healed her. He healed. And the lowest part of society lady, the lady that was cast off, the lady that was just kind of sick, poor, spent all she had and had nothing. But she possessed a commodity that Jesus enjoys rewarding. gives way to And we read through this and we look at this and we go, well, great for her Bible story. I don't know if I can apply it to my life after all. I haven't seen those kind of miracles. 12 years. She's there 12 years. She's bleeding. She's got this problem for 12 years. I just don't want to stand before God one day and say, hey God, I was extravagant for a few years and I didn't see it. You may be crying out in prayer for the same thing for 30 years before you see your miracle. But 
Because the nature of not seeing it in a month or six months give us license to simmer down? It can't. It can't. What's interesting is that You know, when you look at this spiritual hunger that she's got, she's got this need for healing. When you look at, like, uh, physical hunger, physical hunger will cause people to do extravagant things. Physical hunger, if you're, you know, needing to live and eat, you'll be willing to work hard. Right? You're physically hungry to put food on the table. If you have a family, then you'll be willing to work hard Extremely diligent so that you can put food on the table for them so that you can feed physical hunger. It's the same thing with spiritual hunger. If you're really spiritually hungry, you'll be willing to work hard. Feed your spiritual hunger. If you really want to so be a burning and shining lamp and so possess so much of God that you touch the people around you, that you impact the world, then you'll be willing, be diligent in your spiritual pursuit for your own heart, but for those around you as well, for your spiritual family. Maybe for your real family, but maybe for your church. Maybe for the nation or the orphanage or wherever you're called. Maybe your workplace, whatever it is. But you're so spiritually hungry for more of God that you're willing to work hard. And I don't think, I I don't see, I don't see that Man, every day it's like, woohoo, renewed vigor uh, to go into the prayer meeting, to open up the Bible, to do the thing uh, that's spiritually hungry because you feel it every day. But the very nature of it being our conviction that we want daily bread from God, that we want the hunger, that we want to, sa- we want to be satisfied on the richest affair of heaven and to feed those around us puts us in a place where It's our conviction that spiritual diligence is necessary. No matter what. But spiritual diligence, you you don't have to be spiritually diligent and have the appearance of a radical Christian. You don't. There's so many ways that we can have the appearance of looking like a radical Christian and have no spiritual diligence in our heart. It's easy. I know, I've gone through seasons of it. I've gone through seasons of marketing radical Christianity and having a gaping hole of lack of spiritual hunger inside. I know what it is. It's easy. You can fake it on this planet. But man, we don't want to stand before God one day and say, hey, not only, not only did I know that I should be spiritually diligent. I knew how to make it appear that I was to others and really we stand before God as hypocrites. Oh. How awful. No, 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 no. It's our conviction that we must be spiritually diligent. And we're going to go through good days and bad days. But even when we go through bad days, even when we go through times where we lack the diligence, it's our conviction that we want to get back into the place crying out of yearning And I'm not saying the miracle is always healing. The miracle could be, God, I just want to taste your presence. The miracle could be, God, I want to like the Bible. It's so boring. It could be, God, I want to love my brother. He drives me insane. That's not true. 
Maybe for you. It could be God. It could be any, it could be God, uh, you know, help me to just love church. Right now, I don't want to do church. I just want to watch TBN and read, you know, read charisma. I don't know, you know, like, I don't know what your world is. That wasn't a slam. It's just, anyway, it sounded like it, but it wasn't. But we want to be in the place where it's so our conviction that we come after. I, I, I just think, I, I love this phrase, that she'd spent all that she had. She, she had no other plan B, you know? Like, have you ever thought about the fact that sometimes you secretly have a plan B? If radical Christianity doesn't work out for me, here's my plan B. You know, God's called me to know him and to experience him and to encounter him and to encounter him in the prayer meeting and to cry out and to believe and to reach generation and to fast and to pray. But if it doesn't work out, well, I'll make a lot of money and play Nintendo. Or put it not in your own intimacy relationship, put it in your impact, put it in your calling. God called me when I was 17 to go to the 1040 window. I was going to be a missionary. You know, just in case that doesn't work out, I'd be pretty good at having my own lawn business. I'd be pretty good at this other thing. I'd kind of create a plan B. Listen, I understand that there's processes to getting to where God's called you to go. But don't ever settle for a plan. I understand that you got to get to the education that many of you want to stick around three extra years so that you make sure that you have your spouse because, you know, you gotta, you got to get married. I understand those things, but don't ever give up on plan A. There's no plan B. 100% total obedience. And if you sense yourself, if you sense in your heart you're kind of creating a plan B, kill it. Write it down so that you know this is not going to happen in my life. I will not do this. This is what the Lord has said, and this is what I'm going to do. Though it take me 19 years to do it, though it takes me 47 years to get my undergraduate degree, though I spend a decade at Pikes Peak Community College, <laughs> holla, holla, all right. I'll go. Mark chapter 10, skip over just a couple chapters. Great little story here. Mark chapter 10, verse 46. Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, that is, son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many, say many. Many rebuked him and told, told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more. Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called to the blind man, cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you, Jesus asked him. Blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Oh. Imagine that. 
He recognized that Jesus is coming through. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me, he screamed. Now look at this. Many rebuked him. Say many. They rebuked him. They looked at him. Stop it. Be quiet. That's where many of us stop. Dude, okay, fine. Still. I just tried to do the radical Jesus thing. All right, I get it. All right, I'll calm down. I mean, it's probably the wealthy and the people who can see and the people who have skills and the people who aren't spending their life begging that look at him and say, be quiet. Oh, upper escalon of society. I probably should shut up now. Okay. Be quiet. No, smart man. That's what we learn from this cat. They look at him and they say, be quiet. Shut up, man. Shouted all the more. I love that line. But he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Can you, have you ever been there? Dude, come on, Peter, why are you being like this? Why are you so, why are you so, uh, why are you so focused on that nation? Why are you getting a degree based upon reaching other people in another in another country, another part of the world? Dude, come on, go just make some money. Come on, settle down. Or opposite, dude. Why, why aren't you like? Why, why are you so focused on doing this specific thing that God's called you to? You know. Don't work so hard. Chill out. Calm down. Come on, Pete. What do you think you are, Keith Green? Stop pounding on the piano so hard. Come on. Chill. The line that I love right here. Jesus, stop. Stop. The little blind man who was begging lower caste of society is crying out. And the more that the people tell him to shut up, he cries out all the louder. And because of it, Jesus stops. Soft spot. Hmm. I sense desperation in the air. Hmm. I sense spiritual hunger from that little blind man. Where is he at? Call him. Hey, Peter, James, John, shut up. Stop fighting about who's going to be the greatest. Go get him. Go bring him to me. You know what Jesus does? Looks at him. And he gives him a blank check. Hey, blind man. Yeah, you, the hungry one. Yeah, you, the one that cried out all the louder the more that people asked you to be silent. Hey, you. Yeah, you. No, I'm ta- I know you can't see me, but I'm talking to you. Bartimaeus. This is Jesus, son of God. I mean, imagine that moment if it were you. <laughs> I mean, I know D.W. would be like a wife, but uh, what, what? imagine the God of the ages, the creator of the universe. He looks at you, and you're the lowest of the low, and the God of the ages verbally talking to you, and because of what? Spiritual hunger, because of desperation, because of desire, because of that longing. 
It stops God in his tracks and he says, tell me. Your moment. Blank check. Articulate what you want. What got Bartimaeus in that spot? Spiritual hunger. A little bit of faith. A little bit of zeal. Shut up, Bartimaeus. Jesus! Son of David! Have, shut up. Have mercy! The more they got in his face and told him to be quiet, the louder he got. Friends, in your life, the next 60 years, you will have people. You will have demonic influence. You will have tasks. You will have busyness. You will have 10,000 things in your face. But there'll be a moment, be it on earth or in heaven, where you'll stand before God and the level of hunger manifesting itself in zealous crying out loud, crying out. Every night, every missions trip, every dollar that you sacrifice, every minute that you give toward God, your calling, whatever it might be, instead of another night of watching reruns of King of Queens and Friends. Every effort, every point of spiritual hunger is disappointed. Hebrews 11.6, he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Bartimaeus, the woman who's bleeding, See, God's got this little soft spot. He loves it. There's something in the heart of God that you can have all the religious leaders around him. You can have all the crowds pressing up against him. You can have all the who's who's of society around him. But when the blind Bartimaeus, who's the nobody, has hunger, Call him. Philip, find him. Matthew, put your money down. Where's he at? Going along in the crowd. Who touched me? Somebody possessed a degree of hunger manifested in faith, manifested in action that caused power to go out. Where is she? Who touched me? sound like John Bevere. I'm preaching myself happy here. <laughs> Woo! Can you imagine what God may do? They're a little band of radicals like us. 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 
40 years. Jesus! Son of David! Have mercy. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go. Your faith Immediately, his Jesus Left his tunic, left it all, and immediately left it. To follow the one who answered his You know what? Not only crying out, but in the moments where you're able to see answered prayer, it will place desire in you to leave everything and follow Sometimes it's not as easy as the moment that Bartimaeus had, where he said, I want to be healed, I want to see, immediately healed, turns and follows everything. But turns and leaves it, leaves everything to follow him. For some of you guys, there needs to be moments where you look and you go, okay, what were the prayers that I was crying out to God four years ago? That today I've seen answers to prayer to. Articulate it, write it down, and it will give you momentum to leave all to follow him. Two years ago, I had zero passion. But I cried out, God help me. I want to want. Today, if there's anything I know, I have passion for God. Still single, but I have passion for God. Still uneducated, but I got passion for God. God, a year ago, I asked that you would cause, help me to enjoy the scriptures. Now I'm enjoying the scriptures more than ever. Woo-hoo! Thank you for answering my prayer. There's desire to follow. God, a year ago, I had zero influence. I mean, people did not want to listen to anything I had to say. <laughs> I cried out that you would help me to so follow you and to have so much Jesus shining from me that people would want to listen to what I have to say. Now I have this opportunity, this opportunity, this opportunity. I'm getting on the bus next week. Oh, thank you. It'll give you motivation. God's answering your one day you'll see all of this. In the meantime, see as many as you can. In the meantime, try to get eyes to see like he sees. So that you can see the way he answered And answered prayers from when you were 12, when you were 15, when you were 10, when you were 22. Stand with me. Joe, if you and the team would come on up. I just want to sing this song again. We'll be done. Just stretch out your hands like this. I just want to pray that God would give us as a people. This is not you responding uh, individually. This is all of us corporately as a corporate people that have all signed a vow. We've all determined to go here. You don't have the choice tonight on if you want to respond or not. We've all decided as a community to live this way. So let's all respond to God right now. Jesus. Jesus, we ask for hunger that leads to faith, that leads to action. 
that a lethargic culture may seem and view as inappropriate or extravagant. But Father, we aren't wanting to define our religious lives based upon a society or a culture. We want to define it based upon your words and your word and what you did 2,000 years ago and what you will continue to do today to those that cry out. Holy God, would you come now? Would you hear the prayers of saints that are asking, that are seeking, that are knocking, that are believing? Would you come? Inject spiritual hunger like we've not known. Faith, desire, longing, confidence. Father, we ask, Lord, that like Bartimaeus, Lord God, we would, we would cry out all the more. And the more things, the more, the more TV shows and the more movies and the more stuff, the more money, all the things that try to quiet us. God, I pray that there would be an ache within us, that nothing would slow us down, and that we would cry out, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on our generation, God. Pour out your spirit on our generation, God. Holy God. Visit us. We don't want to we don't want to read about revivals, we want to live them. Come. You've just heard one of the speakers from Desperation, a ministry of New Life Church in Colorado Springs. For more information on becoming a Desperation intern, attending one of our conferences, or joining the Desperation National Network for local churches, visit us at desperationonline.com.